Hello, 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 everybody. Welcome back to... Oh, it's it's beneath the screen of the Ultra Critics. That might did be you, the best intro we've, we've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> yes, welcome. If we could preserve that in Amber, that's going to be the new one. <laughs> no. <laughs> no one ever wants to do it my way. All right. So... Welcome back. And uh, today's topic we're going to be discussing uh, children's movies. Because well, children don't deserve what they have. People keep making them movies, and they're younger than me, and will <laughs> will probably live longer. Well, possibly depends depends on uh, how things go. Yeah, I, I haven't. I'm sorry. I'm not super used to being a cranky old man, but I tried to brush up a little before we started. No, that's cool. They're eating Tide Pods now. Yeah, yeah, and I think they're doing that on my lawn. I, I'm, I don't really ever... I never look outside, so I'm actually not bothered if they are. <laughs> well, they will be on your lawn one day, and they'll be dead from the Tide Pod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, I don't know, this this is a, this is an interesting topic because of how distant I feel from this concept at this point in my life, <laughs> since, since I, I, I'm not, like, I have a nephew... Right. And but he lives in another state, so I'm not typically drawn into like stuff you have to do with kids hijinks. Well, and when I when I am around, I do things like give him the iron giant and various other <laughs> things that like the cool uncle does. So I don't really know what kids are watching these days. What do you got? <laughs> well, I, I I chose this topic because I love Paddington and Paddington two came out and I love it just as much if not a little bit more. And I was talking with someone at work, and he was talking to me about how he didn't think the first Paddington was that good. And I'm just like, you have to... It's a kid's movie. Yeah, so like, by by what metric were they right. making that argument? Like, well, it's actually just a really damn good movie. It's also just a really damn good kid's movie. Hmm. That is that is my exact... Uh, well, almost exactly my argument for the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live-action movie. It's it's just a good movie. It just happens to be about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, I remember that shredder terrifying me as a child. Damn right. <laughs> All right, but uh, first thing, we needed to distinguish, like, what about kids' movies that we find... That are the, the common criticisms of most kid movies. Yeah, uh, I mean, often them being incredibly saccharine or not being or, or being too like shallow. It's like, oh, this is dumb. Like those those sort of base level uh, criticisms. Let's say. Well, even okay. though I don't know, I don't even know if I count some of those as criticisms more more as just complaints. Right. Well, no. Okay. Okay. Essentially, like a bad kids movie is one that is, like you said, shallow. But like it just feels like the movie's there trying to kill an hour and a half, which is fine. Yeah, it's it's but, like uh, a movie that is is no more than like Baby Einstein's. It's it's something that is making noise and colors to keep a child distracted for an hour and a half. Right, and so when we do see a kids' movie that isn't like that's just more than put put together well, because a lot of movies are put together well. Yeah, but every once in a while you'll get a kids' movie that it feels different. And it feels different because it's, most kid movies have like a beginning, a middle, and an end, like all movies do. Yeah, they, the, they, to... they follow the the traditional story structure that is policed pretty heavily within films. Right, but it's almost like with a lot of kids movies, they follow that structure even when it would be to the detriment to the story. 
Like, say, when you take something like um, The Cat in a Hat or The Grinch Stole Christmas, these are very simple stories that don't yeah, have yeah, a three yeah. S structure, but then they blow them up and they stuff them full and they give these characters things that were never really meant to have, like motivation. Oh, man. Those are really <laughs> good, succinct examples of that. I was actually... <laughs> I don't. I, I saw some supercut or other online the other day that included like a snippet of the the Mike Myers Cat in the Hat, and I had forgotten that that existed. Well, even uh, the Lorax, like when you take a... oh god, they made a Lorax movie. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> With Taylor Swift and Zac Efron and Danny oh. DeVito as the Lorax, which is the only casting that makes sense. Yeah, that's true. Although, I would have preferred... I mean, if Danny DeVito is going to be the Lorax, why was that one your CG one? That begs right. for that begs for effects makeup. Well, not I only would... that, but when I say that's the only good casting, I mean, that's the only good casting in that movie. You could have had anyone play the Lorax. It's just, of oh, those I three people, <laughs> Danny DeVito's the only one that makes sense. Yeah, they keep trying to make Zac Efron happen, I've, I've noticed. Uh, Zac Efron like can it's... happen in certain places, but they tend to put him in places he doesn't belong. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rein myself in, because otherwise I'll go into my weird conspiracy theory about how Disney children are engineered. Um, <laughs> the only, and the only true successes were uh, Kurt Russell and Ryan Gosling. Well, and formulas are fine, because Disney, throughout the 90s, had a perfect formula. Yeah, I mean, this is something that is dead now. I mean, it may not be dead. I, it's just, the, the problem is that I don't exist in this universe anymore. I'm sure Disney is still making, like, stuff for the Disney Channel. But, like, yeah. Disney's live-action movie game back in the day, like, I think name-checking Kurt Russell is good for it. Because those, like, classic kind of live-action Disney <laughs> movies through, like, the 60s and 70s, there was right. a weird kind of greatness to them. Right, and now they, like... They've only, the thing that gets lost when talking about Disney movies is people tend to just only think about the animated ones, which are great and fun themselves. But there are a lot yeah. of... Herbie the Love Bug is a really weird, funny movie. <laughs> Buddy Hackett is a sidekick. That's not a normal sidekick. But I was, it wasn't until I was like a teenager that I realized that Buddy Hackett was a very filthy comedian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that is a, like, that's... That is up there with, like, Full House starring Bob Saget. Like, that is a weird <laughs> choice. <laughs> if well, you, like... <laughs> it's one of the things why I remember uh, back uh, an old Roger Ebert, Richard Roper review, and they were talking about the remake of Herbie with Bruce uh, Campbell and Lindsay Lohan. Oh, yeah. And, and Roger Ebert was like, I find myself wondering about Herbie's sex life. <laughs> And that is probably because Herbie the Love Bug, that movie, intimated something like that. And which the older Disney movies, like, no, 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 the moment we even intimate that he has anything like that kind of personality, it's going to lead you down a weird rabbit hole. So we're just going to focus on the fact that it's sentient, and that's about it. Yeah, just you just want... let the car do dumb, weird car stuff, and that right. will be what we do today. Don't have the car be attracted to other cars, because then, you just, again, it opens <laughs> up the wormhole. <laughs> and, like, we have enough, you know, that's... We don't need more weird fan art bait. Right. Uh, that's... <laughs> that's fine. Well, and, uh, there's also, like, the talking animal cliche, which, again, can work, but nine times out of ten is thrown in there because, well, kids love talking animals. Yeah, then, like, you, if you push that too far, eventually you get the live-action Chipmunks movie. Right. Which, 
The animated one is kind of weird in its own way, but that's back when kids' movies were weird because the people were making them were... Like, there's, there's a weird sort of, like, there's a through line where you can go, I'm making this because this is a studio-produced thing, and then somewhere yeah. along the line it takes a weird left turn. <laughs> and it's still I like mean, a studio project, but no one was paying attention. I mean, if we're doing this, we might as well get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Album and the Chipmunks... It's, the movie is about how they trick Dave into leaving them alone, and then they go off on an adventure with the Chipettes, in which they yeah. each pilot separate hot air balloons, collecting dolls for two random wealthy people who are using them. Oh, as... <laughs> God! Oh, who are I'm using them to settle back. a bet between the two, which are actually not drug smuggling, diamond smuggling. Yeah, you actually don't need to take cycle, uh, psychedelic drugs. If you watched <laughs> cartoons in the 80s, you will have flashbacks to them, and it will be just completely incomprehensible. When you watch uh, modern-day kids' <laughs> movies, they're weirdly streamlined, and it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think that is one of those uh, problems, I suppose, with, you know, like you were saying before, that, that sort of formulaicness uh, comes from... I mean, it's it's refined from what generally works, and that's not right. necessarily a bad thing. But when that becomes the standard and that becomes the expectation, like that, it's not just oh, you need to make a kids' movie about these chipmunks, and then someone wanders off and makes a bizarre balloon like world hopping <laughs> adventure movie. But instead, it's now well, you gotta you gotta follow this general formula. Uh, well, go go have fun. Like, do you remember? Do you remember one of the Care Bears movies was basically about a kid who was like taking orders from what seemed like it was essentially the Necronomicon with a creepy human yes. face in it. <laughs> like that to me, I will always remember. There was that one, and there was <laughs> and no another one... one in which they essentially fought the devil. Yeah, Care Bears <laughs> movies went to some dark places. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know why Care Bears became this like shorthand for. For people who are are like weak and like fluffy, <laughs> like Care Bears stared down some dark shit. When the Care Bears went to Wonderland, that went nuts. Oh man! Oh god! <laughs> oh, the flashbacks are happening again. <laughs> okay, back on track. We need to. Uh, I, I, I'm gonna lose it here. <laughs> All right, but okay. See, because what ha- going back to the because and honestly, the Care Bears in the Alvin and Chipmunks. Those weren't really mainstream. Those were like, they weren't even really big studios. Those were sort of like made off to the side because Disney sort of ran the table on animated movies for the longest time. They were solid, reliable, like low mid-budget. Like they they did well off merchandising and stuff, but the the quality of the animation and the features and stuff never really uh, jumped up to Disney levels. Right, and and honestly, (laughs) they were never really hits. We just know them because... They were so fucking weird, they stuck with us. <laughs> uh, but, um... Disney... They ran the table for so long because they had a a blueprint. And it was, you have at least three or four songs. And they got really good song, songwriters. Mm. And, and they, for the longest time... Like, especially around the 70s, 60s and 70s, the animation wasn't good. They got really cheap. In the 80s, they got Don Bluth. And then they lost Don Bluth. At least briefly. Very briefly. But then they lost Don Bluth. And then they came about with the Renaissance with the 90s, in which you have Beauty and the Beast, which is still amazing. 
You had mm. Aladdin, Lion King, Mulan, and then they started to taper off because they kept sticking to the, the formula. And they kept right. It got, trying, it got too formulaic. Right. They kept trying to fit songs in Disney movies that didn't need songs. Mm. And they started doing that musical aspect where they would stop the movie for the song as opposed to have the song illustrate something. Yeah, it, it wasn't a musical. It was a movie that needed songs. Right. Um, but, of course, Don Bluth... Uh, then I, my wife cannot uh, be reminded of this movie's existence because it's a scene that makes her weep. Uh, but it's a movie that shall not be named. It's called um, The Land Before Time. Oh, yeah, that was mine. That was, uh, yeah, he named it. <laughs> yes, uh, but I thought you had your headphones on. So, what do you think the headphones are for? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was that was my Don Bluth movie. I actually didn't see The Secret of Nim or, 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 um, until way later. And I, I, I saw American Tale, and I liked it, but I never, like, it wasn't the one I rewatched. Like, I kept going back to Land Before Time, right. despite its incredible sadness <laughs> well Lambo, uh, Lambo for a time but the Bible American Tale stuck with me simply because it's one of the early ones I saw and No Cats in America which is I don't know why I love that song and and the streets are paved with cheese like, <laughs> we, we know that uh, Secret of Nymph it's just one of the earlier images I ever remember seeing like on film I feel like, like I, if you want to have a really like I feel like if you want to have a really bleakly like historical narrative day you you watch american tale and then you read art spiegelman's mouse <laughs> to find out what was what was going on like yeah yeah you know well you know like when you watch american tale today like i didn't get most of it as a child but it has yeah. some very like it is a an immigration story it's very much even no cats in america has a very oh yeah the Amer- the idea of the American dream of what immigrant immigrants believe America is going to be, and then the harsh reality of what America is. Yeah, because I mean, when you're a kid, you don't have any of that real world context. But right. even without it, the movie the movie stands on its own as a story of a, a family going to a new place and like they're it you know hoping for a better future and all the things that go wrong. Like your your kid brain doesn't need the the history, right. but the history like when you go back and watch it as an adult is like oh. Wow, that was that's that's got other stuff going on. Well, there is what Don Bluth did uh, with Disney, and before he made his own stuff, before he sadly he, mm. his own movie started going down the drain, um, was he made the story palatable to young and old alike, which is I know a horrible phrase, but it's uh, movies for everyone, and he did so without like sort of having in your window or pop culture references yeah because i mean that was uh i think this is what i wrote in the the show notes was that that was sort of the warner brothers approach right was the the sort of merry melodies looney tunes tradition of doing your your sort of silly slapstick and all of that that like surface level goofiness but also having the snarky asides uh references to movies and famous figures and, and even like and even opera at times when they were getting really up their uh, asses about, you know. Well, that's because uh, they weren't making them for kids. Right. Those. I mean, yeah. Those. Those were originally for for before features. True. Right. And even then, they have there's a principle and a way they attack the uh, the animation and the story structure. 
mm. that is, has much more thought put into it than, you know, most kids' movies that try to adopt the Warner Brother model. Right. Because it's really... Most kids' movies, the worst ones are the ones that little the movie with innuendo and pop culture references simply so the parents can have something to pay attention to and the kid can easily be distracted by the colors and the sounds. Yeah, it's 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 like a it's essentially a, a grown-up scavenger hunt like right. designing the perfect jokes for kids not to notice but for for adults to be like, "Oh good, I I don't have to like completely check out and mourn my existence while watching this." That's that's nice. Right. Well, even then like you can check out, but you can just check in everyone's like, "Oh, okay." But I uh, this is where sort of like because Disney movies never did the inner windows, and they never really did pop culture references by themselves are really sort of a new thing in kids storytelling. Yeah, I mean Disney. The Disney's one sort of break from that was the the genie in Aladdin because he was basically a blank check for that joke. Right, and that's because you got the one person born to play the genie. Right. <laughs> <laughs> But you know, and that's the start of I think when you start seeing pop culture references and that stuff sorting to seep into kids' entertainment. Yeah. And as much as I love it, if that is, you could like that's the catalyst of like, oh, we can do that. Kids won't notice, and adults will like it. And because nine times out of ten, what they're trying to do is not so much make a good product, but to get your your butt in the seat. Right. I the, remember uh... when they made Babe, the Talking Pig movie. Oh yes, from from the director of Mad Max. Right. It's important to point that out just because George it's Miller. so bizarre. Yeah, George Miller, creator of two of the most important things in pop culture, Babe the Pig and Mad Max. Um, they did a. They Oprah had an episode on them, and one of the audience members stood up and said, "I love this movie. It's so warm. It's so loving, and it's it's there are no dirty jokes in it. Like." Why don't why doesn't Hollywood make these movies more often? And I think it was George Miller who said simply, "Could you don't go see them?" <laughs> yeah, that is the correct answer. <laughs> I mean, perfect example. We got a movie out in theaters right now, Paddington Two. It's not doing well. It has none of that stuff, and it is incredibly clever. And it's being clever without making any references without making any sort of adult humor. It's funny for all ages, and when we say that, we mean all ages can watch it, and it's not like there's nothing that someone will go up and go, oh my, I didn't realize how dirty that was. Yeah, all, all ages is one of, is a is a trick phrase. Right. Because it's uh, it means too many different things. Right. Because there's there's the sort of uh, all ages in like the, the branding sense where right. it's that's just what you call kid things that are okay for kids. Uh, but then there's like the, the, I feel like the version you're talking about, like the, let's say the preferred version so that we can just be dismissive snobs is <laughs> actually making something that anyone can enjoy. Right. Uh, which, which I'd say at present is sort of dominated by Pixar. Right. Well, is, and that's what, what makes her version of that. <laughs> right. Well, and even then some of the Disney movies are behaving like that because the people who are on Pixar hmm. are now working on the Disney stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, they've they've started to to merge processes very well. Right. I mean, an example of sort of subverting this is Record Ralph, and which is uh, full of pop culture yeah. references. It's, yet, it, yeah, it is nothing but. It is an overdose of references. Right, but it never feels like they're just doing it to do it. 
Yeah, it, it's they, they they use them narratively. Like they're yeah. they construct their world carefully. Like that, what what the villain's role is, and and like they use those to make. Yeah, God, I need to rewatch that movie. I haven't seen that in a while. Not only not only that, but the Cubit cameo is beautiful. <laughs> when you find out that what's his face beats Cubit, I mean, it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's oh man, Oh. <laughs> Sorry, no. Well, I'm just. Oh, that was. Uh, I. I keep. I'm just gonna keep making weird emote noises because Wreck It Ralph was so good. Oh, well, also he... an- another another subversion of that. Okay. Um. Although mainly because they weren't, I think, intended to be as all ages, but it sort of swiveled back the 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 Muppets. Yeah. Because the Muppets are are very much more of like, especially the Muppet Show is much more a vaudeville thing. Like, yeah. It is like. Kids will, kids can enjoy it because it's it's puppets being weird, but it's just like wordplay and uh, like jokes about pop culture and and all that. <laughs> and it's like stuff that like you can do it and still be evergreen. And I think the Muppets pull that off. And what I mean by evergreen is you can go back and not need and have an entire encyclopedic knowledge of what the seventies were, and yeah. still get ninety nine percent of the Muppet jokes. Like to because there there is a right way and a wrong way. Uh, this is empirically true, by the way. Anyone who disagrees with me is wrong. Uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to do referential pop culture humor, and the wrong way is in almost any. Uh, some of them are better than others, but almost any movie that ends with movie. So, <laughs> and it, yes. like your your scary movies or any of those sort of things uh, don't work after the pop culture window moves away from people knowing who like the famous people that they ha- give walk on roles to are like most of it just doesn't work anymore. Well, just uh, to go on unless you, unless you're like really high, just to um, go on a little bit of tangent that started with yeah. airplane and the difference is airplane had an actual story to move right. the gags along. Like, it well, yeah, was... but, I mean, that, that's the thing though is airplane was more airplane was making fun of, like the does that disaster genre and a couple of contemporary movies in particular, but not in so specific a way. I would say I would say Marx Brothers movies are a good example of this. Also, the kinds of things that they're satirizing are contemporary, but it's not so narrow that it's not still funny without knowing right. like the references. You are not required to know the material to get the joke. Right. Most people who have seen Airplane. Haven't seen Towering Inferno. Haven't seen Earthquake. Haven't seen Avalanche. Some have, seen, maybe, like, but yeah. most people haven't. But, but, but it's okay. You don't need to know the name Rock Hudson to enjoy Airplane. Right. Um, and yeah, I feel like that's uh, now that we've wandered off from that a little uh, from the from kids stuff in particular. But I feel I feel like still that is um, that idea of constructing the the jokes and the the sort of parent bait as something that is separate and not like a part and it like a not an important part of the overall mechanism tends to be i mean that that that's kind of the dividing line i think like you said wreck it ralph is a good example because it's got all sorts of nostalgia bait for people who grew up playing arcade games or, or old school video games but they're so integrated into the world that you don't have to know like any of the you don't have to know that m bison is from street fighter to think it's funny <laughs> when, like just to see the cast of villains in the support group like it still right. works well and record ralph does something also that pixar movies have somewhat of an issue with and mm-hmm. i think this is what separates um and what, pixar does this brilliantly but it does have a problem with like the third act 
um, mm. crisis. Wreck-It Ralph raises the stakes in a way that feels like they're honestly the God raising the stakes. Like, yeah. they go to some, some really dark places. Pixar movies can, but they always feel like it's the third act stake raiser, where this one in Wreck-It Ralph feels really organic. Mm. And it feels really sort of much motivated by characters' revelations about themselves and the world they live in. Yeah. Uh, and, I, I buy that argument. <laughs> well, it's the it's the idea of constructing a story for kids, but not treating them like they're kids. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's it's really fascinating to me looking at our our superhero saturated landscape. Like, right. no, anyone who wants to disagree with that descriptor <laughs> is a delusional lie monster. But um, you know, I will. You, you got to admit that superhero comics were invented as a children's. Or at the very most, young adult medium. Exactly. Like that is, that is the market, and the the like. The worst thing about, especially like the worst eras of comics through the late eighties and nineties, was trying hard to ignore that fact. <laughs> and I mean, I mean, even some of the earliest, like the problems with some of the earliest comics, flat characterization, like superhero comics, right. like your flat characterizations and your repetitive plots and all of that. A lot like when we got to the 60s and you started to get like Stan Lee and the, the sort of Marvel like people, Jack Kirby and all them, like telling these stories that are very straight facedly like, no, let's just let's just tell good stories with our ridiculous characters. Like right. Peter Parker is going to deal with teenage crap because that's the audience that we're trying to get, like either almost teens or teens. And like I see the, the, the sort of my favorite example of that from my trajectory to adulthood is, of course, Batman the Animated Series, which is still undefeated best Batman. <laughs> and like I, I think like I see it in that, that similar kind of of uh, trajectory of like the, the reason it's good is that it accepts all of its own inherent ridiculousness and and it just tells stories within that premise. And they can be scary, or they can be sillier, or they can be like what they're—they're they're just Batman stories for a kids' audience. Like it was—it was shown on Kids WB. That was the the animation block. I remember right. it well. Mask of the Phantasm uh, is one of yeah. the best Batman movies, it and might, it bombed it horribly be, when it came out. It, yeah, it might be the best Batman movie. <laughs> um, there's a great short uh, film thing on YouTube by uh, Patrick H. Williams, I believe is his name, making that yeah. argument. Uh, very, very worth watching. But yeah, like that, that ability to accept, like uh, to accept and tell stories that are welcoming without talking down or like nudging people in the ribs to be like, ah, right. eh, we know it's a kid thing, but eh. Well, and I think that right there is what separates a really good kid movie or a family movie from a bad one, is the fact that they're treating material straight on, and they they know the audience, but they're not trying to patronize to the audience. They're not talking down to the audience. It's like, let's just make the best movie we can. Yeah. And if it's not necessarily, like, does the story make sense? Not so much in, like, does it make dramatic sense, but do we need all these trappings? Do we need the talking sidekick? What's the sidekick for? Is it just there to amuse the kids? Or to say right. funny things? There's no need there to sell action figures. Right. <laughs> Which is fine. I understand, you know, they're there to make money. But to some extent, it's nice just to have a really good story and no one will care if you have action figures. <laughs> which, uh, yeah, which is why I still lament for, for uh, John Carter because I would have bought the shit out of everything for that movie, but it was not to be. Well, okay. 
Uh, Let's take, for example, going back to Paddington. Because aside from having stories, uh, Paul Keane, the director, on both of them, he has the same same DP, uh, Eric Wilson. I mean, I could even tell from the because I, I to to my regret, obviously, I, I've not actually seen either Paddington. But on right. your recommendation, I, I definitely going to have to now. But those are like even just in the trailers, those are really lovely looking shots. They like, are. It, it, it feels lovely. It is lovely, but visually, it is almost pure cinema. By which I mean, you can turn the sound off and you can get the gist of what's going on. Even in the second one, yeah. even more so, like because I'm in a projector booth and I have the sound off. Even when they do a close up of an actor's face, you know what the emotion is trying to be. You don't need the mm. dialogue. It's there for like supplemental yeah. information, but it's really so almost pure visual, and the children love it because it's visual. It has to buy shiny. Wait, wait a minute. 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 I have to. I so I started looking up the director. And his Mighty first Boosh. credited, yeah, Mighty Boosh. <laughs> oh my, oh my! Now the that first makes one... me so that makes me so happy. Actually, I love I love how like because that's that's some like Sam Raimi jumping to Spider Man or Peter <laughs> Jackson jumping to to Lord of the Rings. There, like I would not have predicted this trajectory. Well, here's the thing. All right, so the deep, the cinematographer for both Paddingtons, Eric Wilson. I'll give you three movies he's done. The Secret okay. Life of Walter Mitty, the Ben Stiller one. Oh. Wow. Mr. Bean's Holiday. Huh. And Pumpkinhead Blood Feud. Now. <laughs> Mr. Bean Holiday makes a lot of sense because there is a lot of that sort of like very visual information in Paddington. Uh-huh. But like uh-huh. when I say it has clever jokes, perfect example in the first one. There's a moment in which Paddington is tra- chasing down a pickpocket, and the pickpocket is driving away in the car, and the GPS is telling him to bail left, and he looks to the left and he sees Paddington. <laughs> and that's funny. Oh, but the kid isn't going to get that, but they're also like, that's, that's, I'm sorry, that's funny. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> oh. And or, like, wow. in the second one, there's that joke that, I'm sorry, it's a stupid joke, but it kills me every every time. You have Jim Broadbent's character, like, how about a pair of rolling skates? And it cuts back to Paddington, and it has, like, a Chiquita banana hat on with the Marx Brothers glasses. And it's like, be serious, Mr. Brown. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm sorry. That joke, in every movie, when I was, that's what's when I giggle at. I'm sorry, see. The be serious when looking totally non-serious is one of my favorite gags, and you know. Well, I mean, it, well, the the Groucho glasses, like that's <laughs> that's it, that makes it even better. It's akin to the one time I laughed and dude it was my car, and when everyone is like arguing and they're like, "Whose fault is this?" and it's the two dudes, and it's just everyone staring at them, and they just whistle as they try to slide out of fame, and I'm like, "I that gag will always make me giggle." And it's the one time I laughed in that damn movie. Uh, yeah, wh- the, wh- the 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 don't look at me, I'm totally normal whistling while walking <laughs> away is always... That's classic. <laughs> well, uh, but what I'm trying to get at with Paddington is the fact that, like, it is a, a lush movie in a way... It tells stories in a way that most kids' movies aren't comfortable telling them. Because, yes, there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, but Paddington books much like the Grinch and all that, 
are very, they're not story-oriented. They're very much Patterson gets in the script. End of story. Yeah. So uh, what they do is, is they, give, they have them get in some scrapes, but they give it a larger, they build on the idea of what Paddington is, which is going back to Amer- uh, American Tale, the immigrant story. Hmm. The first one is very much about immigration, and the second one is very much about the, not, uh, uh, much more subtly about immigration, but what, like, what it's like being in a country that you're not from after you've been there a while cultural clashes mm. and on top of all that it's just you know about being good and it's so lovely and it makes me really fucking pissed that it's bombing and the my theater is getting rid of it after only two weeks oh rough yes um, three billboards we have and been playing it it went away and it came back we have that pile of crap yeah i, I have i oh really it's not good i haven't seen it it's yeah that's, a, that's another diatribe down the... Sorry, sorry. I don't, I don't want to derail the conversation. I'm just, I'm such a big uh, fan of Martin McDonough that I, yes. uh, I'm, anyway, I'll, I'll set that aside for another day. Right. Um, but again, like it's, it has something to say and it treats the kids not like they're dumb and you can, you, you can sell Paddington bears all the live long day. <laughs> you absolutely can. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I, I. It's funny to me that I was I was like thinking about as I as I was you know uh, considering what to talk about, trying to come up with, with like kids movies that that sort of stuck with me, and I'm annoyed that I didn't think of Babe, and for some reason it's just because I didn't categorize it as a kids movie, like right. it was just somewhere else, and well, I feel like that is because of that like stigma that being what what being a kids movie or being an all ages movie means from a marketing sense has sort of overwhelmed that association right. well and that, that's sad okay so you got the paul king one the hmm. paul paul king patterton but you also have right. bfg that came out uh three or four years it came out 2016 yeah. spielberg worked with the same dp that he's worked with like for the last 14 or 15 movies hmm. written by the same lady who wrote et Melissa Matheson. Oh. And it's an adaption of a Roland Dahl book. Again, much like Cat in a Hat and Grinch Christmas and some of the other ones, Roland Dahl books are weird because they don't... The story... Kids' stories are, are structured they're, much differently, narratively. They're like a... I would say these are more in the family of being a... They're a yarn. Like, right. it doesn't... It's not about pulling together coherent story threads. It's about going through this strange experience. Right, and that's why I think where many kids' movies fail is they try to make it into a, not a yarn, but like an actual story with plot and everything. And the yarn allows for more breathing. And I think the faith that the kids have too much silence, they'll start, the mind will start wandering. That's not necessarily true. Yeah, it's, it's like the presumption that everyone needs to be distracted by things happening all the time. Well, okay. Uh, did you see BFG? I did not. Okay, BFG... Is like I said, I'm, I'm actually... I'm quite a ways behind on uh, <laughs> anything that's marketed as a kid's movie because I, I already don't get to go to the movies as often as I would like to. Right. And uh, so I, I miss various things. BFG, it's kind of along the lines of... 
It's, I wish it would have come out when I was a kid because I would have loved it. I still loved mm. it, but like it's it's almost so like it meanders a lot, mm. and it doesn't really behave like a normal kids movie like we've talked about. Yeah. And it has yes a scene where there's a lot of fighting, but it's the most whimsical, <laughs> whimsical fighting scene with the queen that I've ever seen. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> and yet it's, it's still Spielberg, and it still deals with. Some themes like growing up, like most Roland Dahl books, the the mm. sort of not so much tragedy of growing up, but what happens between the loss of childhood as you grow up. Mm. But it is a fascinating movie simply because it doesn't behave like a kid's movie. Yeah. Huh. Like, I, I, I remember it coming out, and I remember hearing very little about it. Well, like, you know, a lot of people are like, this is weird, it's not good, and it's not particularly interesting. And then you have, like, some critics, uh, myself, William Bibiani, Dave White, people who I've never met, by the way. I, I, right, I lump just... myself in only because... I only because you remember them agreeing with you. Right, and Alonzo Duvalde, I'm sure. Like, it was very much like, it's, we loved it because it was, wasn't, it, it didn't fit inside a box. Right. It wasn't 100%, 100% successful. But because it was willing to not be 100 cents successful, it's like, this is, I'll take this. I love yeah. this. And I mean, this is that kind of, I don't know, to me, it highlights a certain thing that I become really wary of in terms of any kind of media criticism. Because there are, are certain approaches that become weirdly similar to, like, you're grading an assignment as a teacher. Right. Uh, like, oh, this doesn't, like, this doesn't have this structure of narrative arc this or that thing doesn't pay off. Right. Uh, these characters aren't explained. Like, actually, God, now that I think of it, I'm, I'm also describing people complaining about The Last Jedi also incorrectly. Do not give um, me that as another podcast altogether. <laughs> yeah, no, no, we're staying off that. But I, I'm, just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, that is, I think, uh, a pattern that I see across a lot of media criticism. Like, people internalize those expected narratives uh, or filmic structures so much that... Um, not doing it is treated as a mistake regardless of what doing it differently is done for. Right. Despite uh, the reason behind it, I suppose. Well, Beast Dragon came out the same year, and it, was, it wasn't it was as meandering, but it took long hmm. moments of montages of the woods and just na- natural scenery against folk songs. But I'm talking about, like, they had Leonard Cohen that's one of the mm. songs. Yeah, yeah. And it was like, I so rarely see a kid's movie that just takes a breath. Yeah, like, it is. Like, there's not uh, a whole lot of wackiness. There was wackiness, but it's just take a breather and just look around you. I mean, the, the, the only thing that I could really think of, like, when, when you say, like, thinking of kid's movies that take a breath, to me, pops uh, Miyazaki movies. Yeah, exactly. Precisely. Those are, those are, those are also, like, they're very, they're very interested in, like just cinema and and like surroundings the, i mean through the lens of animation but like the 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 you know physical world and and long panning shots uh of nature under music and also in just being very straight-faced about telling stories uh without well, the the sort of bump and without having to elbow you with anything well in a lot of ways going it goes back to what we're talking about in terms of like the pure cinematic element of it because mm. They don't bother trying to explain things that don't need explaining. Right. The spirited away. 
They don't go into a lot of unanswered questions, but that's fine because it's only the point of the movie. And in many ways, the unanswered questions are fascinating and left for you to debate. Right. Like he talks about, um, he answers everything that he wants to answer. <laughs> yeah, like uh, the being being able to run off of fairy tale logic is is right. apparently. Just not allowed anymore for some reason well, for most people. The idea that that there is such a thing as fairy tale logic, and I think a lot of people are using too much logic and just oh, absolutely criticism. As we talked about this uh, in a previous episode, and like how you deal with genres, yeah, you have to be able to fairy tale logic is not is not going to address the logical inconsistency because it's a fairy tale; it's not meant to. Right, it's, and it's, and it's you you get in really muddy territory when you become more interested in filling out all of the wiki pages for right. your fantasy world than in, like, telling a fun story that is, like, meaningful and interesting and uh, engaging. Well, and, like, within most fairy tales, they don't stop to try to explain character motivation or mm. how this is even possible. They just go with it. Yeah, we're here now. Right. Uh, let's go. That's a witch. She's a witch. Witches exist. Alright, she turned him into a snake. How? I didn't hear her say any magic words. Witches use magic. I don't know how magic She's... works. Who Fine, are you to whatever. tell me how no. magic works? <laughs> right. Um, and yeah, just that, that ability to let it be a story and not like a puzzle. Right. Not to say I'm against like thinking about movies and and fiction in a way of like oh how does this fit together or what does this imply because i can't stop doing that i will do that forever but there's a degree to which like when that's your only approach and where that's the only approach that is demanded that it reigns in everything well okay um i was talking to a guy at work and he mentioned i was talking about how awesome badminton 2 is this sounds believable so far yeah, and he was like, I have, I just can't deal, I, I can't do talking animals. And I'm like, fair enough. And it's like, by the way, I read the Wikipedia page, and it just turns out the plot, it's the plot from Planet of the Apes. And I was like, what? what? And it's like, yeah, yeah, what? this explorer goes into the jungle, discovers two bears, and he goes to shoot them, but then they realize that he can, he realizes they can talk, and they take his gun away, but then they give it back because they don't want a gun. I'm like, that's Planet of the Apes. I'm like, no, it's them not bothering to explain why bears can talk. Because, newsflash, not the point of the movie. They just want to be introduced <laughs> to talking bears. We've introduced them. We're moving on. It's a kid's movie for crying out loud. You know what? You know why the bears can talk? Because otherwise the movie doesn't happen. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I sometimes wonder, because that's a very important answer to most questions. Like, why does that happen? Because then we didn't, we don't, we don't get the funding. That's why. Right. Because, like, what of, here's, here's the thing. Uh, one of the dumbest things uh, about the original Blade Runner, and uh, <laughs> Kara has pointed this out many times, and it, I, I always like find it funny, but also I have to be like, because otherwise the movie doesn't work. It's like, why aren't replicants just blue or something? So you immediately know. <laughs> it's like, that's a very good question, because otherwise the snooty philosophical questions can't be asked is why. Exactly, like because otherwise <laughs> Philip K. Dick can't do his thing. I walked in. Right. Like there's, there isn't a good reason is the answer. I walked into a conversation and they would, and all I heard is one of them goes, well, he's very interested in looking at how technology and automation reflects on humanity and humanity's worldview and how humanity will evolve beyond that. And I'm like, we're talking about Philip K. Dick. And she's like, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm like, yeah, because who else? 
he's also pretty interested in the fact that Jesus is an alien satellite, I think, right. is the other thing. Right, but at the but, same time, uh, like, if you're talking about an author like that who's not Philip K. Dick, I have wanted into a literary cinema. I want to, I want to read that. <laughs> <laughs> Introduce me to them. Uh, not only that, but I'm like, holy crap, who are you people? Hello, my name is... Yes. Uh, hooray, I've, I've twisted this conversation back to Blade Runner again. No, no, uh, I'm fine. <laughs> but I think it, it, it bears uh, discussing, because going back to Miyazaki, there is a thing where... Children's movies, family movies, much like most movies, mm. don't really run on logic. That, yeah, they don't need to. Right. And film itself isn't logical. Um, when you cut to the next scene, there's a gap normally in time, and your mind just covers that up. Kids' yeah. movies work best when they're not trying to adhere to logic. Now, I'm not saying no logic. I'm just saying, you know, a logic that fits the story, not right. logic. Right. Yeah. Uh, like, if you, if you forward like the logical construction of events before anything else, then you're not making a movie. You're, right. you're making this logical constructed world and chain of events that you have chosen to film. Uh, I, I hate when they, they can just find a parking space right off the bat. That's not realistic. <laughs> then give me your $16 and go wait outside. I have, you want to know why they found uh, a parking space? Because then you got 10 <laughs> minutes of them riding around the car complaining about whatever and the movie's not happening yeah i can't believe the first thing that came on when they turned on the tv led them to the next part <laughs> of the plot oh which by the way there is an entire movement that dealt with that it was called the french new wave and there's a reason why there's only like eight or nine directors who came out of that because <laughs> after a while it becomes fucking annoying <laughs> yeah uh, but on the bright side self-aware jokes about that can go a long ways oh absolutely um <laughs> But no, like there's a there's an amount of sort of lying to yourself that you have to do to see a movie, and we're not doing that, and kids' movies aren't doing that to a disturbing degree. Yeah, uh, and I think that's that's honestly one of the things that to me is very telling about a filmmaker is when they can make these extreme jumps between arguably very niche genres, right? Uh, like um, George Miller and anyone else we've talked about, but I'll... I'll uh, oh, I, Jordan Peele. I don't know why I didn't say Jordan Peele also. Right. Um, being able to to really understand how they... Like, learning how to use the, the storytelling mechanisms of film for their very narrow genre, and also un w alongside the understanding that those techniques will change... To fit the different genres. Okay, well, but there's. Go... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Well, let's go back to BFT, Steven Spielberg. Who does that almost better than anyone? Yeah. Although I'm, I'm incredibly, I'm incredibly like anti excited for Ready Player One, but that's neither here nor yes, there. Yes, yes, but the post. Um, and other movies that aren't Ready Player One. Fair, fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> like, it's because he does do, he'll jump into a genre. Kids, he he made a lot of family movies. Family movies that yeah, absolutely. E.T. I, I, oh, uh, actually no. E.T. I don't know if you know this is to me a horror movie. Right. Oh, <laughs> that's because you're you. Uh, family movie. <laughs> but like um, E.T. Um, now I'm blanking on all Spielberg movies. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Indiana Jones and the Indiana Temple of Jones. Doom Big family oh. movie Big family movie. <laughs> Indiana Jones, 1, 2, and 3 4, 
I know people don't like it because apparently all we were grown ups watching a kids movie, and all of a sudden uh, logical yeah, flaws and everything. Yeah, screw you, people! I love Crystal Skull. <laughs> <laughs> but the really is like he does that. He'll look at a genre and like okay, and he won't. His movies apply to everyone. They uh, hold everyone's attention, and they operate within the constraints of the genre he's working on. And yeah. he's able to either give you a narrative or a sort of flow. The never like there's this the Spielberg touch is I think an honest thing and I know this it's cool I always hate on Spielberg if you're a film student or whatever, but Right. You really gotta recognize <laughs> Steven Spielberg does it's not easy to make a crowd pleaser. Everyone thinks it is, but it really is not. And right. it's not you, easy you to make become... a crowd pleaser that is actually good aside from being a crowd pleaser. Yeah, you become that level of contemptible because, you know, people recognize you you figured something out that they can't, uh, at least not easily. Right. <laughs> like, when you watch The Post, it is a feminist movie. It is a movie about freedom of press. It is a movie with a political point of view, and it's a crowd pleaser. That's not an easy thing to pull off. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, it's uh, – hell, it, this is actually interesting because I'm, I'm looking at just the movies that – I'm looking at the movies Spielberg has directed – and if I look at just the last several, it basically makes this case for you. Because since since Crystal Skull, he has also done uh, Adventures of Tintin, which I forgot was a Spielberg movie. Right. Uh, War Horse, uh, Bridge of Spies, BFG, um, The Post, and then, of course, Ready Player One coming Lincoln. soon to, a, to an eye roll near you. Yeah, Lincoln before that. Um, yeah, just like the the breadth of what the movies he does falls into is just I I forget so much because you you think of Spielberg and to this point he has transcended he is right. a concept. Well, like I have uh, um, okay. By the way, one little piece of uh, trivia: uh, Janice Kaminsky, the guy who works with Steven Spielberg, mm-hmm. uh, the DP who works for Spielberg, yeah. who does like all the movies. There is one movie on his list that I kind of think is beautiful. He what is, is it? the DP for Cool as Ice, the Vanilla Ice. Movie. Oh, I've seen that movie. Oh God! Steven Spielberg oh. works repeatedly with the man who shot Cool as Ice. Oh, oh I've seen that movie, Jeremiah. <laughs> well, you should. Oh. It's, it's a wonderful cinematic unicorn that can only exist oh. because Vanilla Ice has ex- existed. It can't exist if anyone else is in it. No. Because then it wouldn't it is, be cool as ice. It would be cool as what? It is. Dice clay? That's, no one wants that. No, I mean, you could do you could do it with uh, iced tea. It's fine. No, um, no, it wouldn't be the same movie. wouldn't be the no. same movie. It was held up solely by the cultural force of vanilla ice. <laughs> <laughs> Which is oh. oddly, if I remember correctly, marketed as a kid's movie. Oh God, was it? I wouldn't be surprised. Like it's marketed like oh. as a teen movie. It's not. A, a, there's no way an adult wants to see Cool as Ice. No, <laughs> uh, I I agree Remember, immediately. Remember, he was in fact in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too. Yeah, Secret he Abuse. A, I I know. <laughs> this is a man whose career is basically engineered solely by children's, by young adults, oh. at the very least, young adults. Oh. Wow. It is of the genre like of Dirty Dancing and Footloose. It is a young adult sort of movie. Like five movies after being DP for Cool as Ice, he was doing Schindler's List. Oh my god. <laughs> <It's>... ha... I... <laughs> Wikipedia is a wonderful thing sometimes just to see I, the evolution I of a career. 
I don't spend enough time reading about cinematographers because so <laughs> many cinematographers have these bonkers career trajectories. <laughs> oh, wow. Joshua sort of bleeds into why we need to talk about how people should be allowed to fail, but that's an entirely different podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, also, not just allowed to fail, but there are different kinds of failure. A movie right. is such a multidiscipline project that it can, like, much like, I'll, I'll lean on my other favorite, like, nerd knowledge thing is comics. Like, right. it, you can fail spectacularly in one level and still be a triumph in another, but, right. like, it won't matter to, by and large. Perfect uh, example. Um... The New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking. Mm. A movie I loved as a child. Yeah. And The New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking, not the Swedish version, which are, by the way, bonkers and lovely within their own right. Uh, <laughs> the New Adventures of Pippi Longstocking, kick-ass theme song, by the way. Uh, yeah. I can sing it to you, but I won't. Um, Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> it is about, a it starts off with her and her pirate father and they hit a monsoon because they're on the way to a tribe of cannibals because they have treasure. Oh. Uh-huh. They hit a mon- they hit a monsoon or a squall or something. The ship goes down, and her and her father get separated. And as they get separated, the father's like, "Hey, if we get separated, go to the Villa Villa Coola, that house we have." It's like, "Okay, mm. I love you, Pippi. I'll see you when it's over." It like it hit the amount of confidence and faith that he has in his daughter. <laughs> and it's like it's just like oh, by the way it's like I, I I believe you you'll be fine I raised you you're good enough to do this on your own you don't it's like this is really kind of bizarre and so she goes and she's living by herself in this house and she befriends these two girl uh, these two children a brother and a sister and at no point in time does the brother develop a crush on Pippi yeah and at no point in time like what's really sort of she's essentially a teenage girl version of Huck Finn. Because essentially everyone is sort of irked at her. That is absolutely she's right. She's not following social conventions. She's not dressing like a girl. She's getting dirty. She's not using silverware. It's this really interesting movie. And it's not a well-made movie, but it is a really good movie. And it, yeah. is, it is a kid's movie, and there's no innuendos of pop culture references. And it's one of the things where, like, I think sometimes you put too much pressure because that movie has stuck with me, and I know other people. When you mention it, the eyes go wide and go, "Oh my god, I love that movie." Yeah, I, I like, I have vague memories of it. <laughs> and like, there's a whole thing where she goes to the orphanage just to please him, and she's like not happy with the orphanage because like she's getting almost institutionalized. And then she saves everyone from a fire, and they're like, "Yes, what's all you're right? You can do whatever the heck you want." Some people need more <laughs> finishes. Some people don't. You don't. You can take care of yourself. We're fine. It's like yeah, a no. weird sort of libertarian streak running through that movie. <laughs> and she dreams about being a princess, but a princess of a cannibalistic tribe. And this little weird, like, she's allowed to be weird. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I haven't seen that movie in forever. I haven't seen it in like two years. <laughs> Me and Corey watched it together when we were back when we were started dating. It was because it's a favorite movie of both of ours. Man, that is oh, I'm the yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> like, like I'm thinking about, it and I'm like, this is like Terry Gilliam levels of bonkers. It like, was, she becomes she's super strong at one point. She lifts up her pet horse. 
She can fly a gyrocopter by spinning around at super speed. It's never explained. Because it's a kid <laughs> movie, and why would you? She's Pippi Longstocking. She can do whatever the hell she wants. <laughs> she lifts up a grown yes. man as she walks down the stairs and just plots him down at the bottom of the stairs. Like, there is so much bonkerism to just the American version alone. Oh, that is, I'm going to have to dig that up now. I'm just like... <laughs> I'm trying to remember what parts of it that I remember are. I'm trying to remember what parts of it that I remember are real and what parts aren't. (laughs) You because it's the. I feel like it's a very dream logic feeling movie in retrospect. The head of the orphanage is not Madeline Kahn, but the other woman in Clue. Ah. Oh. And the father, once you see him, it's like, wow, he's. I know that father. The bad guy is like a Disney character villain. He's got a mole and a black beard. He walks around in a blue pinstripe suit, and he he's almost like the uh, bearded guy from the Popeye cartoons. Oh, man. He has the two bumbling sidekicks. I'm like, it's so... You know what else is up there on my, like, uh, sort of lost uh, childhood movies in terms of, like, I'm not 100% sure I didn't, like, fever dream parts of this? What? Uh, the Witch Mountain movies. Oh my god, those were amazing. <laughs> I know. Escape to Witch Mountain, Return to Witch Mountain, which had Betty Just... Davis and oh. Christopher Lee. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> hey, oh. Alright, we gotta stop because we're coming close to the end. But, but boys and girls, we're not talking about the version with the rock. There is... There are two old 1960s movies called Escape to Witch Mountain, Return to Escape to Witch Mountain, which are gloriously yeah. nutty. Two aliens uh, returning home. It's like a Disney Hammer film. Like, I, <laughs> I don't know what what was going on there, but I like it. All right. With that being said, we have to come uh. to an end. So don't... so I think as, as, we, as we often do, our final point tends to be that, like, just, just let it be a movie. Don't, <laughs> don't make it have three acts if it doesn't need three acts. <laughs> There's a time and a place for instruction, and sometimes kids don't need it. Hmm. Uh, Rarely, uh, honestly, if we're being honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, don't forget to check out the Phantomentalist. Don't forget to check out Ladies First, and don't forget to check out Unabashed Books Novel. Don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. That's how we get discovered. Um, Until then, say goodbye, Thad. Bye. Bye, everyone. Have a good one.